0: Well, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Right on. I've been thinking a lot uh, this Thanksgiving about the things that I'm grateful for, and that's just it. It's not things, it's not stuff. Um, I am grateful for all that, but what God has really impressed on me over the years is I'm just grateful for the relationships I have. I have a beautiful wife, I have two wickedly smart, tender hearted kids, Um, I have a great family. I am blessed with a great staff to work with, um, compassionate hearts, always stepping in the gap, always have my back. I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for all the people that God has put in my life because relationships that I have run deep, and that really means a lot to me. Uh, And this Thanksgiving, because of those relationships, more than ever, I am thankful for the gospel and the power of the gospel, and the power of Jesus' name. Today, we're ending the gospel series with the gospel shared. And we've been focusing on how the impact of the gospel affects every aspect of our lives, and we've been talking about kingdom living and how powerful it would be if we were to pray the prayer from Matthew 6, 9. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name your kingdom come, your will be done. If we were to pray that every day, how the kingdom would break into every aspect of our lives. And if we were to take the gospel out of 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, this is the gospel I preach to you, Jesus Christ crucified, Jesus Christ resurrected, and put that in with John 3.16, that God loves you so much they gave his one and only son that you won't perish if you believe in him, but have eternal life. That's what we're talking about. And it's something that we won't just say with our mouths, right? It shouldn't just be words, gospel shared, kingdom everywhere. It should match up with our actions and it will impact all our relationships. It will impact how we live. It will impact how we work. It will impact how we spend our finances. It will impact how we spend our free time. It will impact who we spend our free time with. That is the idea behind kingdom everywhere and gospel shared. So we're going to spend Our morning talking exactly about this, and I know as we approach this topic, there are some of us this morning, that may be a little bit uneasy because you're not quite sure what the ending is, but you're pretty sure that once we get there, there's going to be a massive amount of guilt put on you for all the things that you're not doing and all the ways that you're not living up to the gospel-shared kingdom everywhere, and I just want to say this morning, I just want to assure you that that's exactly where we're going, Okay. (laughs) Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) Let me tell you the truth about something. I'm the spiritual formation outreach pastor. This is part of my job description, right? Gospel share, spreading the kingdom everywhere. You would think if anybody would have a handle on this, it would be someone like me. Well, fortunately, that never really came up in the job interview, so I kind of snuck through, but... I want to tell you that this is something that even I struggle with. And I think I struggle with it because once you get into the cycle and you fail a couple times, guilt comes in, and guilt is just a big hindrance. It's a big block. So I want to share three reasons why this is a struggle, and I think three hindrances that we all face. I think whenever this comes up, I remember specific times Specific times when I was with someone and the conversation started to turn to spiritual things and I could feel God moving, I could feel the Holy Spirit tugging at my heart and I knew I should say something, but you know what? It was just kind of awkward, it was just uncomfortable, so what did I do? I wimped out. And I just want to clear the air here this morning. Are there any other wimps here this morning? Yeah? It happens, I think that's part of it, I think... We all have experienced that. The second thing, as you step out into gospel-shared kingdom everywhere, as you start to risk, as you start to move with the Holy Spirit and God's kingdom, there will be obstacles. This is one of the ways that, in my mind, you know that you are walking with God. You know that you're moving because there will be obstacles. The enemy doesn't like it. Satan will put up things. There will be some persecution. There will be some and when that happens, we're all human. We're gonna make mistakes. I've made plenty of mistakes, I've failed lots of times. I have done some not so Christian things when stuff has happened. I've said some things that were selfish, I've said some things that were maybe where I lost my cool a little bit. What happens when that when that when you come into that situation? You just gotta be honest. You just gotta own up to it and say, You know what? I'm sorry. That was not an accurate representation of Jesus Christ and his love for you. I was not shining with the gospel at that moment. Please forgive me. That's just part of it. I've had to ask for forgiveness lots. The third thing, and I think this has kind of an overlaying tone to it, is that there's a fear of rejection. Maybe we've been rejected lots of times from lots of different people, or maybe we've been rejected time and time and time again from a very specific person. Let me say this about that. The Bible is very clear. If you are actively moving in this, if this is a lifestyle, gospel, shared, kingdom everywhere, you will be rejected. The world will see you like a fool. They will not understand. There will be a cost. You sometimes hear Christians complain about the cost of faith. It's surprising that they're surprised. Because seeing every decision we make through the lens of the gospel shared, the kingdom everywhere, will necessarily have a cost to self. And that's a tension in our faith that we should hold the entirety of our faith. It's a journey. So here's the challenge. Once you fail, once you back down, once you've been rejected, what do you do next? My tendency is to take a step back. I move back. Maybe I'll do something once a month, and that kind of defines who I am. That kind of puts the guilt, eases the guilt for a time. But that is not the point of this series. That's not the point of the kingdom everywhere. That's not the point of what we're talking about, the power of gospel. That's not a way of life. That's not kingdom living. So, as we talk about this, there is a very unassuming question that we need to ask before we launch into this. Is the gospel shared? Is the kingdom everywhere a way of life for us? I think there are two simple truths as we come to this question. The first truth it's easy for us to share the gospel. You can do it, I can do it. We can all tell our friends about Jesus. We can all say it with our words. It's also important that our actions match up with our words. They run parallel because what is the biggest turnoff for someone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ? Is when a Christian says this and does this. Okay? So we need to keep that in mind. But it's very natural. If we are experiencing love of Jesus Christ firsthand, that it's going to overflow from us. And the most natural thing is that we will want to tell everybody about Jesus, how cool Jesus is, and how much Jesus loves them. We can do it. That's the first truth. It's simple. It's easy. You can do it. I can do it. The second truth. We don't do it. It's not a way of life for us. It's not a way of life for you, and it's not a way of life for me. Maybe some of us work in a difficult work environment and there will be real persecution. Maybe our friends just aren't into it. Maybe we don't know any non-believing people. How many non-believers do we hang out with? What did your last week look like? How many non-believers did you invest in last week? What does your next week look like? How many people who don't know the gospel truth are in your life right now? Maybe we've been telling family members for years and years and years and we're just tired. Or we simply don't know how to proceed. Maybe we don't see the point. And maybe this morning, if we're real honest, we would say, you know what? My faith journey has been more about me finding ways to be served instead of finding ways to serve. One of the objectives we have of this morning is we want to be real practical. We don't want any ambiguity about the gospel shared, the kingdom everywhere. Where do we even start How do we step it up a notch? How do we increase our devotion? This morning application is key. We're going to be sharing testimonies. We're going to be sharing stories. We want to celebrate as a church body because you're not alone. A lot of times we make this an individual thing. It's not an individual thing. We're the church. We're family. We're moving together with this. We're praying together. So here is the end goal. We think about this, the gospel shared often as a verb. Right? Go out, tell somebody about Jesus. We want to move it into the realm of being description, an adjective, right? So that when people look at us, you know what? That guy, he is gospel shared. That woman, she is kingdom everywhere. Because if we can make that transition, you see what happens? It not because it isn't something we do once a month or every once in a while or occasionally. It is a way of life. You know what? Those people at Wayzata, they're gospel shared. They're kingdom everywhere. So, what are some easy ways to share the gospel? Let's just jump right into it. I've asked our executive pastor, Mr. Mike Murray, to come up. We're going to demonstrate four strategic ways to share the gospel, Okay. Mike is my non-believing friend. This is the scenario. I'm a believer. I'm going to share the gospel with Mike, okay? So, first, evangelistic strategy. You ready? All right, here we go. Easy way, number one, to share the gospel. (laughs) Never mention it. This one is a little more subtle, but still very effective. One of the most impactful ways that you can share Christ is to be sure never to talk about him, no matter what. Hey, George. You go to church? Come on, Mike. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's slow it down a little bit. Did you see the Viking game last week? You don't want your evangelistic strategy to get ruined, so if they do bring up anything about church or Jesus, just shut it down right away, okay? (laughs) Easy way, number one. Second easy way to share your faith. Are you a moviegoer? Yes, I am. Have you seen Doctor Strange? I did see Doctor Strange. What do you think? Well, let me tell you what I thought. Interestingly enough, it's talking about altering reality and perception, and there's a deeper reality. You know, Jesus Christ is really the greater Doctor Strange, because when he manipulates the seen and unseen, things are just happening, that's the gospel. (laughs) This one is one of my favorites, because... I grew up with the Force, those are not your droids, the Matrix, Neo, Babylon. Movies are kind of my thing. Take a popular uh, trend in culture and put a big metaphor over it and use that to share the gospel. Old school evangelism was about preaching Jesus from the scriptures. There's a reason why that's outdated and outmoded. You want to know what that reason is? Because, frankly, it's just lame and boring. If you want to share the gospel, share the gospel with putting Jesus in some cultural trend, tell your friends that Jesus is the greater Spider-Man. Okay? <laughs> Third way to share the gospel, and these um, need a little setup. We have beards. He has a cane. We're a little bit older gentlemen now. Okay? That's a nice one. That looks good. Oh ho ho! Yep. Mike, uh, we've known each other for 40 years now. Let me tell you about Jesus. Do you know how much he loves you? Third easy way. Too often, Christians jump right into uh, sharing the gospel. That's not the way. You need to develop a really meaningful relationship with the non-believer before you even mention Christ. So for the first three or four decades, just work on the relationship. Show them a lot of love. And of course, an important footnote to this strategy is pray they don't die. Okay, last, fourth, and my favorite easy way to share the gospel, okay? Mike is uh, sleeping. This is it.
1: Jesus loves you.
0: Okay? That was it. Wait until they fall asleep. This is my favorite because I'm all about the subconscious mind. And when they fall asleep, whisper in their ear, Jesus loves you, right? If you can tap into the subconscious, Jesus loves you. You have just tapped into a very powerful gateway to share the gospel. Jesus loves you. Thanks for coming. You guys are dismissed. Jesus loves you. Okay? That's it. Thank you, Mike. All right. Obviously, do I have to tell you that was a joke? Here's the real way, okay? From Acts 3. And let's stand as we read uh, the Holy Word of God. Acts 3. Beginning in verse 1. Real way to share the gospel, have the kingdom everywhere. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate, called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg. From those going into the temple courts, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John then Peter said look at us so the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them then Peter said silver and gold do I have I do not have but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk taking him by the hand he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong he jumped to his feet and began to walk then he went with Them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to be who sit who used to sit begging at the temple gate, called beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Thank you. You can sit. That's the real way. We see in verse one. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Why are they going to the temple? Peter and John, we find out, are going to the temple twice a day at set times. They're going to the temple. Jesus taught the disciples that the temple was the old covenant. Jesus is the new covenant. Jesus taught them that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is access to the Father. So why are they going to the temple when they can be praying anywhere? Because at this time, the temple is the place where non-believing Jews are, okay? These are the people that do not know Jesus and it's really on Peter and John's heart to go and preach the gospel to them. So they're very intentional. I'd like to invite my friend Bruce Gilbert up because He's been doing something very intentional. You're going to hear from uh, Bruce that he has uh, jumped into, well not jumped in, he's been doing prison ministry for 20 years. He has deliberately been going where non-believers are and there's some miraculous things that the Holy Spirit and God's been doing and I just wanted to have him share that this morning.
2: I've been going to uh, Stillwater Prison for about 20, 20 years, we go on the first and third Wednesdays of the month and uh, We get about 30 to 40 men that come There's 1500 men at Stillwater And uh, It goes up and down a little bit But uh, what we do is we start At 6 o'clock we have a worship service uh, A lot of Good singing and praise And then we have some good teaching And we have prayer at the end About two months ago I had an opportunity To do the teaching and a friend of mine has put together a brochure called the final exam. I went through this whole thing with the men, it took about a half hour. And at the end, 10, me, ten men put their faith in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the fruit came off the tree. It was wonderful. It really was. And, uh, There's a lot of wonderful men over there that made some mistakes earlier in life, but uh, they'll be in heaven with us, and uh, we really look forward to it. So one of the reasons I'm up here is that George is uh, interested in maybe promoting uh, prison ministry through our church. Maybe we go into other prisons. We'll see how people respond. Paul's sitting back there. He's been with us at Stillwater, and Debbie's been over there to teach a little bit, one of our members here at the church. So thanks, George. Thank you, Bruce. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I wanted Bruce to share because he's been very intentional. He's been dedicated to this. You see, here he's been uh, 20 years. And then the other reason that I wanted him to share is we were talking about you can just see his heart. You can hear his heart. And if you have ever been on the other side of bringing someone to Christ, you know just how deep you go in that relationship. You know it's a privilege. You know how humbling and awe-inspiring it is. So thank you very much, Bruce. I want to pause um, because I realize it's the holidays. We have come out of Thanksgiving, we're going into Christmas, and a lot of this gospel-shared kingdom everywhere really strikes home because a lot of our non-believing people that we know, the people that we hold most dear, the people that we love the most, our family, are either coming for the holidays or we're going to visit them. And I know a lot of people here have... Non-believing sons, non-believing daughters, um, parents, all the relatives. Yeah, nieces, nephews, and I know from personal experience. I've asked Terry to come up. We're going to share our story, and I'm going to share a little bit of my story. This uh, has always sit heavy with me. Yeah, my heart. Come on up, dear. So we've been witnessing uh, to uh, Terry's family for years. There hasn't been uh, open hostility, uh, but there has been severe uh, ambivalence. Um, and at times, we've been frustrated. We've gotten not timid, but we pulled back um, because we haven't know, known how to proceed. And it's, uh, we just want to share some of the journey um, from both our perspectives.
3: So this is a little overview of the journey that my family's been on. I grew up in a Christian family, attending church regularly, and even going to a private Christian school. I'm thankful for the firm foundation I had in the faith, but when I was in fourth grade, my world was turned upside down when my dad walked out on my family. He made a decision that altered the course of all of our lives. Um, I believe it was pivotal, and that it opened the door to a world of hurt, pain, destructive patterns, and brokenness in my family that would continue on for years. My mom left the church out of guilt and shame. My dad grew more dependent on alcohol and experienced broken relationships with me and my sisters. Somehow the Lord protected me and my faith. He held me tightly in his grip, and I'm thankful. But I watched the rest of my family drift away from God. In the first years of our marriage, we were really discouraged about my family By this time, my mom was experiencing um, mental health issues, including depression and panic attacks. She had withdrawn completely and was really difficult to be around. My older sister, Carrie, had married a nonbeliever and became widowed at the young age of 35 with two small children and was not interested in the church or in God. My younger sister, Sherry, she had gone to a Christian college and married a Christian fellow, but they too drifted away from the church. They struggled in their marriage and even separated. So it was looking really bleak. During this time, George and I, of course, prayed for my family. We tried to be light. We tried to speak truth and live truth, um, to be peacemakers in our family. But it was hard. It's been a long journey. And it's not over, but I stand before you this morning encouraged and excited about what God has done in my family. Because now, um, several years later, my mom has experienced recovery from her depression. And she's an active member of her local church and her community. And I feel like I have my mom back, (laughs) the mom that raised me and taught me to be the mom I am today. My younger sister, Sherry, and her husband, Mark, have experienced reconciliation with each other and with the Lord. They, too, are active in their church. They're stepping out. They're making a difference in others' lives by being foster parents. And right now, we're rejoicing and celebrating with them in the adoption of their first son. We're still praying for my other sister, Carrie, to experience freedom and restoration. But we have great hope. Just like we sung this morning, there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. So we're praying that God will give us opportunities to minister to her and her family this Christmas.
1: Thank you, dear.
0: I wanted to give you the other side of that story because uh, chances are, um, sharing with a family member, you have felt rejected and rejected and rejected maybe over and over again. Many of you know uh, my testimony. I spent most of my early 20s, mid-20s as every bit the skeptic, okay? I was outside the faith. I was outside the kingdom, outside the gospel um, for a lot of different reasons, but I was a skeptic. The thing that made a difference... Was probably something that people couldn't see. Because you might not be the final instrument. You might not be, you know, the person that sees the fruit right away. But I can tell you, as someone who was a skeptic looking in and was very critical of how Christians lived, what they said and did mattered. And I have specific people that were very genuine, that were very authentic, that invested in me that mattered. And they invested in me over and over and over and over again, even though I rejected, 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 rejected them over and over again. And it mattered every time they invested. My dad, very big influence on me, even when I was skeptic, he read every book I read, went through all the philosophy with me, spent time and time in existentialism, which is not his favorite thing. My sisters prayed for me, Constantly, consistently, over and over and over again, and it mattered. There is hope. There is hope. When uh, you feel rejected, it's not a personal thing. Your response is to pray for humility at that point. It does matter. They are watching how we live, non-believers. Our job is to show them Jesus, love, and be authentic. So, back to Acts I want to pick up in verse 5. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. So he's sitting outside the temple at a place called the Beautiful Gate. He's expecting to get some money. Peter and John see him. They say, look at us. Then Peter says this, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. So, this last year we've been talking about church strategy and developing this. What do we want to be in the year 2020? Who are we now? Why is that where do we want to go? Where do we want to be? Yes, it's true. We are renovating the sanctuary. Yes, it's true. We are building a multi-use facility. That's happening. Is that our strategy? Is that who we are? We're not doing any of those things to wow people into coming to the service. So when they come in, they're going, wow, that was awesome worship service. We're not building any of those things to wow people. You need to know our whole church strategy, and I'm going to sum it up like this. It's developing relationship and sharing our lives and faith with the people that don't know Jesus. That is the absolute foundation of who we are and where we're going. This is us. This is Wayzata. We are asking God as leadership, Father, how do you want us to step out into the gospel, share the kingdom to everywhere, and to whom do you want us to step out to? You see this, Peter from Acts 3 is consumed with the gospel, and he sees people that other people just look past. This lame person's been there for years, for years. Decades, and Peter has developed a heart of compassion because he remembers standing face to face with Jesus, and Jesus asks him, "Do you love me?" Well, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep and he 's taken that to heart he 's moving that way you know there 's a famous story about uh, Thomas Aquinas, he was a Catholic priest, he was about twelve hundred and fifty if you haven 't read anything by him. I really recommend that you do. He's had influence in metaphysics, ethics, a lot of our modern political theory, and he has a lot of influence on Western modern thought. Most of what we have developed as philosophy has either supported him or there's been people trying to refute what uh, he put. But anyway, he's a very influential guy. Whereas well, a famous story. Where he meets with the Pope, and the Pope is taking him through this uh, tour of all the house treasury, and the Pope looks at him and says, you know what, quoting from Acts 3, 6, the Pope says, the church no longer has to say, silver and gold, I have none. So Aquinas looks at that, looks at the rest of the story, and he says, this is his response. Yes, it's true, the church no longer has to say, silver and gold, I have none. But the church is no longer able to say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. What we have to offer the world is primarily only Jesus. It's not our building, it's not our strategy, it's not our reputation. Yes, some of those things are entailment of what we're doing, but it is Jesus. Jesus is not just something we say and doesn't affect how we live. It affects everything And when we talk about Jesus, we believe in the power of the name, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I've asked asked Rich McKellen to come up, and Manisha, come on up. Because if you want to hear a story about the power of Jesus and the power of his name, this is it. Rich has been a teacher in their Chinese Bible study. For years, helped started the ministry. And the thing that's cool about that is that we've had Chinese students come study for four years. They become Christians here. They've been baptized here. They've been married here. You've invested your life in theirs. It's an excellent, awesome, Holy Spirit filled ministry. And uh, please ask Rich about that after. But I've asked you specifically to share, um, as we were talking, this story, your relationship. It's awe-inspiring, so please, share your story. Okay.
1: All right, Uh, the subject today is um, Kingdom Everywhere, Gospel Shared. Uh, I want to talk about uh, divine appointments. Uh, The Chinese ministry was not planned by me, or John McCollum. It started through the Holy Spirit. It was a divine appointment. And I met this young lady here, A divine appointment. As soon as I met her, within two minutes, I realized that God had put her there for a purpose and put me there for a purpose. And within 30 minutes, uh, we had a Bible study started up. She wanted to learn more about the Bible. Uh, So it's a divine appointment. As Christians, uh, God puts people in our lives that we should be aware that they're there for his purpose. And so uh, it's, it's very rewarding. And, you, and you're going to hear her talk about her testimony. And uh, I love her. I love meeting with her. And uh, uh, just listen to this beautiful, beautiful testimony. Yes.
4: Good morning. My name is Manije. I praise and glorify God for my baptism five years ago by water and by spirit. And I want to thank my two teachers, Richard and Renee, who are teaching me gospel for over two years, and thank all of you for giving me this opportunity this morning to share my testimony with you and tell you how I came to know Jesus. I became a seeker in Christ around 38 years ago after Islamic revolution in Iran. During the time when I was experiencing some difficulties in my life, during the time my heart was very troubled. I felt as my life and my spirit were failing me. I started to pray as a Muslim does every day, and wanted God in his justice to answer my prayer. But my prayer never answered. I knew like most Muslims do, I love and respected Jesus in my heart as a prophet, but I couldn't pray to him. Then one day I had a vision that someone was knocking at the door in my house in Iran. When I opened the door, I saw a man who facing so gentle, so kind, standing there asking me to come into my house. I knew instantly that he was Jesus and I knew that, the Lord already entered my life. I later learned that in the Bible, Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he will eat with me. From then... I wanted to learn more and more about Jesus as my savior. I asked many questions about him, especially from my two sisters in England who had already accepted Jesus as their Lord and their savior. Soon I started to study gospel that my sister had given me as a gift in both language, English language and Iranian language. And while I was studying, Jesus always gave me the strength I needed and built new courage in me as I was standing, as I was studying the gospel and reading the Psalms. I found myself praying to Jesus in my own words, despite facing further life difficulties and sometimes even feeling alone and broken. I knew that Jesus would never abandon me and stopped giving me the strength and comfort jesus helped me and guided me to cope he gave me rest and quieted my fear i learned that if the lord is with me who can't be against me then one day i had another dream my second vision I saw the large sitting room window in my house in Iran has changed into the cross of Jesus. And I am standing there in my sitting room marveling, speechless, and in awe. When I woke up, I was filled with joy peace, and happiness. I knew that God had set me apart for his son. I knew that the cross was there because Jesus has died for me and for my sin. And I knew that I was reconciled with God. Jesus giving me, Jesus gave meaning to everything in my life. He reminds me that the Christianity hope is the hope which has seen everything and endured everything and still has not despaired because I believe in God. He has let me know that I will never be alone, but he is with me even the depth of despair, despite, despair. despair. He reminds me that no matter what trouble I have now, there is an ending joy waiting for me in the future if I cling tightly to him. God's Son, Jesus, uh, and in unity, unity of the Holy Spirit, I believe that all things written in the past was written to teach us. So, the true endurance and encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. Thank you very much from my bottom of my heart for allowing me to share my testimony. Have a great day, and God bless you. Amen.
0: Amen. <laughs> yeah, hey, thank you. Yeah. Richard, thank you. Yeah. That's the power of uh, Jesus' name. There's one last story that I wanted to share. You know, I had an outline uh, this morning, all prepared, um, but that outline uh, got thrown out. Um, Yeah, there it is for all my linear friends. That's where we were going, but uh, we'll just do this real quickly. Pray. Pray. You want opportunities to uh, share the gospel, kingdom everywhere, you got to pray for the opportunity. It needs to be a daily thing. And when that happens, you pray for the Holy Spirit to move in you with a boldness and humility that is from him. The reason why we shared so many testimonies uh, this morning and what you've heard, a lot of times as Christians, what we do is we tell the world, this is what God will do for you. You need God. This is what God is going to do for you. Do this, do this, do this. The testimony and what you've heard and why it's so powerful is because what God has done for me. That's how we need to be talking. If you serve, we've given a lot of opportunities for service. If you don't know where to start, if you show up in service, there will be gospel opportunities. There will be chances for you to share. So that was the outline. That's gone. The most important thing, I think, is you've got to have heart. You've got to have desire. Dick Swenson is my last illustration. He was always going to be part of this message. I asked him a month ago to uh, share his heart, to tell us what is the foundation of the gospel, to tell us um, how he sees the gospel in everyday life. Um, This last Thanksgiving, Dick Swenson passed away, he went home to be with his Lord and Savior, and there was, Dick Swenson always had heart, a heart that shared because he cared, and there was always an urgency to his witness. So, Dick Swenson answering, what is the gospel? Can we show that video? God sent his son into
1: the world that through him all may have access to the wonderful gift of salvation. And Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one Covers it, comes unto the
0: flood. What find me? Dick has inspired me a lot. He's meant a lot to me, and I just want to tell you what I learned from Dick. The first thing that you would have picked up on if you spent any time with Dick was his desire. That's the starting point. You have to want it. That's why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if that's our desire, God starts working in our hearts. And the Holy Spirit moves in and through us. We start seeing more and more opportunities until it becomes a way of life. But the key is to never stop praying. Once you do, once you think you have it figured out, once you think you have it mastered, and you think you're a pretty good person, and you stop giving it continually to God, you've already lost. You've lost the tension, and you will lose the desire. Dick was always in prayer. I heard him pray, God, show me how to serve, where to go, give me people to serve. God, help me step out into the gospel, share the kingdom everywhere, because I can't do it on my own. Dick spent his life in ministry. One of the things he loved to do was fish. He turned that desire, that love, into whole ministry, fishers of men, and hundreds of men came to know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior through that. Dick had another vision called Field Hands, and as we we're small groups, get together and encourage each other, and walk together in this whole idea of discipleship and evangelism. We encourage each other as we walk out into the world. I know there's going to be a long line of people in heaven that are going to thank Dick for stepping into their lives. That's awesome, that's humbling, and I want that for my life. Dick Swanson is the man that spiritually I want to grow up to be. I'm grateful to have known Dick grateful for Ruthann and the Swenson family and my prayer for all of us is that we will bring glory to God through thought and deed that our hearts will break like God's heart breaks for the lost that's what I learned from Dick Swenson remember when I talked about a verb becoming an adjective if I were to describe Dick Swenson I would describe him as gospel shared kingdom everywhere
5: Let's stand together and sing this chorus together. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary.
0: This morning, with praying out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, let me tell you, there is power in Jesus' name, and God loves you so much. He loves you so much, that he sent his one and only Son, that if you believe, you will never perish, but have eternal life. So as we pray, and we finish the prayer, and you are interested in In knowing about Jesus, just at the end of the prayer, say, I believe. And there will be people down here, come down forward, they will pray with you and they will help you take the next steps to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. For the rest of us, let's pray this as a daily prayer. Our commitment, our belief in the power of Jesus' name and Him crucified and resurrected. Let's pray. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. When you receive Which you received and on which you have taken your stand, by this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to this word I preached you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance: that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures; that he was buried; that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures; and that he appeared to Peter, and then the twelve. Whether then It is I or they that preached, it is what we have preached, and this is what you believed. Heavenly Father, I pray for opportunity this week. I pray that you will bring someone into my life, and I pray for humility, and I pray that they will see your love. Jesus, we believe in the power of your name, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Let us just give the world you. It's in your name. We love you. Amen.